Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Rusty Quill presents. Hey everyone, Alexi Talander here. We are living in unprecedented times, not just with the pandemic, but with our country and the rest of the world, speaking up and fighting against racism that has been going on for centuries. Changes need to happen at every level of our society. In the notes for this episode, you can find a link to where you can help support Black Lives Matter. I'd also like to recommend Season 2 of Seen on Radio, Seeing White, which goes into the history of systemic racism in the United States. And the latest episode of Point Mystic, where you get to hear from an activist known as Xochitl, in her own words, of what it is to be black in America. Links for each of these are in the show notes. Earlier this year, I was invited by Mike Troop of the Earth Collective to participate in a new show, Behind the Collective, where we put each other in the hot seat and ask questions about each other's shows. In this particular episode, we talked about each of our first episodes, which led to discussions about writing, creativity, storytelling, and podcasting. Mike has graciously allowed us to run this episode of Behind the Collective for the Ostium listeners. Enjoy. All right. Thanks for listening. My name is Mike. I'm the creator of the sci-fi podcast, The Earth Collective. If you're listening to this show, you might have already listened to The Earth Collective. If you have never heard of that before, you can find links to it and my guest show in the show notes. So today... Oh, let me go actually first. The The point of Behind the Collective is basically for me, the creator of an audio drama, to interview and be cross-interviewed by other creators of audio dramas. It's just kind of a way for not only for other people outside of the creative business to kind of see how we do things, but also for us creators to get a chance to just talk to each other and to learn how everyone else does things. Because sometimes as creatives, we can kind of get in our own little bubble and it's not only interesting to see what other people do, but it can also be very helpful to see other tips and tricks that other creatives have. And that's kind of my hope for the show. So we're going with episode one. And uh, of course I had to go with a previous collaborator of the earth collective, uh, Alex C. Talander, the (laughs) creator of the show Ostium, which I actually started listening to myself before we even connected in the audio drama world. So Alex, it's good to have you. How are you doing? I'm great. Happy to be here. We're we're fans, big fans of each other's shows. So this seems like a perfect uh, marriage. Absolutely. And um, they're not, I guess there's some similarities between the shows as well. They're very atmospheric. It's very intimate with the main characters. Mm -hmm. And I think that's just a good starting point for Behind the Collective. So I'm glad to have you here. So the general premise of the show Behind the Collective is there's kind of a guideline for the questions because hopefully the listeners um, what you guys can do is you can go on the show notes and I would like if you have time for you to listen to each episode the episode uh, from Ostium or the guests show and then the episode from the Earth Collective because each one of behind the collective episodes is going to have it's going to showcase a different episode of not only the Earth Collective but obviously a different episode of 
my guest show. So I'm going to operate on the understanding that you guys, the audience, has listened to those episodes. And as such, this is kind of a blanket spoiler warning. <laughs> we're not going to hide anything behind spoiler tags for the episodes we're talking about. If you haven't listened to them, that's totally fine. Now you get a background, then you get to go listen to them. That can be fun too. Yep. All right. So I'm going to start by interviewing Alex on his show. His We decided to go with episode one. Uh, population zero of the Ostium podcast again linked in the show notes so my first question for you is tell me about your show I guess just give us kind of a general overview of what Ostium is to you and what it is in general so Ostium at its heart is a big mystery really um, I started it out as a small idea of discovery um, looking for <clears throat> a made-up place somewhere hidden that not everyone else knew about. Um, I said it kind of locally because I live in Northern California. And it started again with this um, idea of a game of GeoGuessr, which is a an actual online game that Google makes where you're trying to guess from where you are in um, Google Maps where where um, where you are in the world from your 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 pictures or your, your satellite imagery and, and what everything looks really like. really interesting idea for a game. I've never heard about it. So when I, I it's, heard the first episode of Ostium, yeah. I actually Googled it. I was like, okay, that's, that's cool. <laughs> yeah. Not a lot of listeners know it's an actual real game, which is kind of cool. And yeah, it's just totally fun to play with. And you can, you basically zoom along, click along um, each image, try to guess where you are by topography. Um, sometimes you'll see signs. I've played it a bit. I'm not a ton, but I played it a bit. So it was familiar with me. And then it kind of just, Steamrolled from there. Well, what if you saw a sign for a weird place, something that didn't seem right? And then the image came into my mind of the sign of Ostium, and then a population, it said zero. And it was just something, again, that just popped into my head. And when I get ideas like this as a writer, I, I chase them, I follow them up, and I don't force them or try to work too much out of it. I just let it kind of the story unfurl. So that's what I did with Ostium. And it started with Jake in a normal job in San Francisco, playing a game of GeoGuessr, seeing this strange, strange um, sign for Ostium and his interest immediately getting piqued by it. And then when he went basically with the game of GeoGuessr, when you're you're done and you you want to guess where it is, you you click on it on the on a world map world, and then um, it'll show you how close you were within so many miles or so. And so in this case, when Jake does it, he's about a couple hundred miles, I think I said, from north of him. So it's not too far away. So that's another step of him getting more and more interested in something and feeling this this drive to want to know. He's definitely a very curious character. So you could say that your show is definitely a mystery show. Yeah. I've heard uh, some fans have compared it to, um, trying to remember some other mystery shows. I'm trying to remember the... Uh, what is it? Mist. That was it. The video game Mist, where you know you're trying to put the pieces together and work out what's going on. And when I'm writing it, I, a lot of times that's how I'm doing it. I'm putting them bit by bit. They're they're revealing themselves to me, and I'm letting the characters kind of find it, put it themselves, put it together themselves to find out where they're going. So this started off with Jake needing to know where this place was and find out what it was, and literally pretty much just leaving his job at that point, making the long drive north and trying to find out where this place was. And then I used the uh, little trick of him having a photographic memory that he likes to brag about. And because of that, 
he's able to remember exactly where it was on the map, or at least as close as possible, and then work out from there as he gets closer to where I'm exactly a, Ostium is. I'm a big fan of using in-world reasons for mm -hmm. closing uh, production difficulties and loopholes. So I really <laughs> like that you uh, um, you did that. And I did similar things in the TEC, but we'll talk about that when we get to my segment. But mm -hmm. I think the photographic memory is a great way to kind of in a situation where no quote normal person would remember that right. or have that information you already wrote that in to episode one that boom those right. little loopholes they're gone you already got ammo to kill that section you know these they go i like that that's smart thinking it's good to assess well, it early as as writers we tend to pull stuff from our own lives and i i don't know if i'd say i had fully photographic memory but i have partial photographic memory um i'm able to remember a lot of details and things like that I've worked at bookstores for over 10 years and I could always remember like where a particular book was in the store on a display shelf or something like that. I'd be able to go right over to it when a customer needed it. So this is what the, the talent I gave to Jake and pushed it further. But then I wanted to push it even more so with him bragging about it and then making a kind of joke about it where later on characters make fun of him for it. Yeah, it's always powerful as writers to pull from our own lives and it extra it helps a little bit if it happens to help us close loopholes. So that's just a win-win yep. right there. <laughs> mm -hmm. So um, again, this is to the listeners. I don't want to talk about in general, for the most part, the outline of the whole show. So what you're going to hear from us is our questions about a specific episode, because especially about long-running series, I don't want to rehash things. So when you hear us talk and ask questions to each other, they're about that specific episode that we have listed. So I just wanted to make that clear. And uh, so for this one, my question to you for the next one is, what are the major events that happened within episode one of Ostium, Population Zero? So I knew, I my originally when I set up the idea, I wasn't thinking of a big, long, sprawling, multi-season podcast that it's turned into now. So I started out kind of small and going step by step. So I knew I wanted him to find that Ostium existed. And then the next step with that is, oh, I wanted him to actually get there and go through different methods that seemed pretty normal and down to earth. Because I had a feeling the further I got down the road, the more sci-fi and mysterious it was going to get. So I wanted, one thing I always talk about when I talk about writing is um, if I'm writing speculative fiction, I always want to ground the reader or the listener at the beginning in the familiar so they can become attached to it and empathize with it. And so that way, when I go into the fantastic, they're with me for long for the ride instead of being lost already. So I had Jake go through this regular thing of driving, visiting different places to eat, things like that. And then he's about at the point where he's running out of ideas of where this actually is. He has a rough idea, but he needs something further. And that's when... I introduced a little bit of the mystical where he kind of just focuses his mind on it and feels this like mental pull of ostium. I want to, I, I want to yeah. back you up a little bit. Uh, I actually did write that down on my notes, Beatles, iPhone, Siri, you right. specifically name realistic things. And that's not from my experience. That's not typical. A lot of worlds, mm -hmm. they sometimes for legal reasons, but sometimes for creative and sometimes they don't even realize they're doing it. But some creators will create everything unique about their own world. 
Mm-hmm. And sometimes that works great. You know, it's fun to hear about uh, a different soda pop brand that only exists in one of your yeah. favorite medias. Mm-hmm. But I noticed that you were specifically naming very realistic things that most of us have experience with. And it was, I felt, because you wanted to ground the listener to say, hey, this is the real world. Hey, this guy is out on his adventure, you know, in the same same world as you. It could be happening yep. right as you listen. And, uh, yeah, I thought that was a really cool addition because it's uh, how you control the listener, whether you want them to feel fantastical or grounded is very important. And I did notice that and you did a good job with it. And it worked well that I was able to um, use Chris, who voices Jake. Uh, the Beatles are his favorite band. And he's an iPhone user, whereas I'm not. So I was able to have him exactly tell me how it works when you're looking for stuff with an iPhone. So that uh, worked out. I'm with you on the Android there, buddy. <laughs> Personal um, preference, no wars here. But And again, as I was writing it along, I, I felt like I needed to do this because I had a feeling things were going to go start to get weird once we got to Ostium and into uh, inside Ostium. So that's why I wanted to, to get this all set up in place and to to kind of build the mystery, too, of what, what was going on here. Where was this guy going? Um, so then Jake gets to the sign, which is a big relief moment that it's like concrete proof. He can literally go out and he does. He pulls over his car goes out and touches the sign to make sure it's a real thing. And then I introduced the question of, well, if there's a sign, why does it say population zero? Would they even bother making a sign if it said that? And again, it's like the next step in his curiosity where, well, now I've got to find out what that is. Where is this and why does it have that? And so then we get him driving to the um, town of Austin, which is barred by a gate and a big chain and a padlock on it. And he's able to kind of peek in and see these strange buildings, a distant water tower with the name on it, um, and make out a few little details. But it's more, again, he's just curious and he can't find out any firm details because he's barred from entering. And that felt like the good stopping point of ending the first episode, of building it all up and then having him relax and recover. And then the next day going back out and getting into the gates of Ostium. But also I think for the... um, listeners and readers too to to be able to start to mull over in their own minds of what this Austin place might be i'm going to agree with you on there that that was a good stopping point uh when i remember when i listened to it the first time through that i uh i was interested but not overly fed i wasn't mm-hmm. full of information but i was just hungry enough to where i did want to know more about this weird gate and its weird town behind it so I, yeah i think you accomplished that pretty well so was, this is my first time doing any, any sort of podcasting. So it was a new thing for me even from that respect. That's funny. We actually parallel a lot in our creations <laughs> of our show. My next question is, what is the theme of the episode? Now, I don't want to talk about the, um, the factual events that happened. Or mm-hmm. I don't want to specifically use the word tangible because you can't touch the show. But I right. do want to concentrate, for this question at least, what are the intangible things of the show? What are the, the feelings that you got or that you gave into that episode? Um, you know, when you when you step back and look at the episode as a whole, what does it have? Loss, redemption, character development, etc. Mm-hmm. So, just, so just tell me how you felt about this one. What themes were so, you going for? You're right. There's an interesting thing in my, on my 20, 30 years of writing I've been writing now, um, about halfway through it, I was able to look back and just see what are my ongoing themes that I tend to write about a lot. And I found it's usually a person who's in a place where they feel they don't belong and they need to get to this other place where they feel they do. Uh, I feel it comes a little bit from, I was originally born in Spain. 
Uh, my mother's British, my dad's Swedish, and I never felt really any connection to, I have Swedish citizenship, but I felt no connection to any of those countries. And then I came over here for college and stayed here, met my wife here, and I've lived here ever since. So I think I pull a little from that unintentionally in my writing, where it, it was really bizarre just to look back in my writing and just be like, oh, yep, there's that guy. He wants, he just wants to go somewhere else, and it's just really bizarre. So I think that, again, is a, a theme that I never intentionally set out to put in but always comes through where Jake feels he's in this setting that he's familiar with, but it doesn't feel quite right. And so when he has this curiosity grow, he knows it's something he has to follow, that he wants to, to chase up and find out what more there is for him that he feels that he's not complete in where he is. I always laugh looking back at the stuff I create to where mm -hmm. when I'm writing it, it feels fresh and new, but then down the road, you look back and you see, oh, okay, that's an exact parallel of something I've been through. Whoops. Right. So <laughs> I think as creatives, that's, that's, that happens a lot. Um, it's just freaky when you're like, you never intentionally set out to do it and you're totally don't think you do do it. And then when you look back, you're like, well, there it is. <laughs> yeah. Yep. There was a moment in uh, TEC where I wrote an interaction between some characters and uh, my wife asked me because the actor that was playing it, we knew each other. Right. So we had some history mm -hmm. and my wife asked me, Hey, did you write this because of this and this situation? And I was like, no. And then I look back, I'm like, yeah, apparently, <laughs> yes, I did. Whoops. Uh, it turned out great for the show, mm -hmm. but it's just an absolute, almost perfect parallel between those events in life. And then you just, you don't see it right away. But yeah, when you do look back, it uh, that makes itself pretty clear. And I think it can be a, a definitely a good thing as a writer to kind of recognize, because then you're kind of on your own little quest then in your writing of seeing where this will then take you and and what resolution it will bring to you. I agree. And I think when you're not only able to recognize it, not three months down the road, but also while it's happening, you can also harness it. Mm -hmm, um, definitely. It allows you to put yourself in their, your character situation and feel mm -hmm. what they would do. So I think it can, uh, it definitely can be very helpful. So tell me about your creative process specifically. What are the actual steps that you took to make, this episode the show in general but also specifically this episode so like i said before i started out not really thinking i was going to make it that big of a show um i'd been i'd done short stories and novels before so doing a podcast was a new thing for me but i wanted to try it out because it's uh, a system where you can just make it yourself very easily put it out there and if it's any good people will listen and tell you about it as opposed to publishing where you have to go through the traditional route and that can take a lot longer. Um, so for this, I was just starting out a simple story. I already had in mind Chris as the, my main voice actor for his good voice. We've worked together on previous things and we're good friends. Um, so I had a little bit of that in mind. Um, and it was just going through and starting out simple with this little mystery, this sign, this game of GeoGuessr, and then building on that and kind of seeing where it took me. Uh, I think a lot of uh, other shows go through the <clears throat> kind of like a TV show or play approach where they um, they just, they have, you know, they either are in a writer's room, there's multiple writers or they storyboard stuff or things like that. Whereas with this, um, I use the same approach I do with my regular writing where it's discovery writing. I'm just letting the thoughts and ideas come out on the page and then I'm gonna edit it later. 
uh, with this first episode, I know I finished it up and then did at least four or five drafts before I was happy enough to send it off to Chris to, to make it into something. And it's pretty much been the same that way for most of the show. Uh, once I was done with the first season, I realized I was going to have a bigger show. So that's when I started doing a little more world building and working out what the full structure of Ostium might be and, and where things might lead. But for the most part, each season, I just kind of sit down and write and let the characters kind of lead the way and take me on their journey. All right. It's very, uh, very interesting. And uh, it is, like you said, very different from other mediums and podcasting, mm -hmm. specifically um, audio dramas have that. Well, I don't want to say it's unique to them because I'm sure creatives have performed that in other places, but it uh, mm -hmm. that is mirrored in my creative process as well. Mm -hmm. So it uh, seems to be a common thing. But that's also the beauty, I think, of audio dramas is you can do any approach you want, however you want to do it, and make something new and unique that people will like. Right. I've, I've heard of audio dramas from, you know, large professional teams of creatives, and they have everything written from start to finish, every little minute detail, and they come out great. And then I've heard mm -hmm. shows like yours and mine and others where they're created kind of, kind of on the fly, and people learn as they go, and they also come out great. So I think it really comes down to how much the creator, the creator is willing to learn as they yeah. go through these processes. Speaking of the process, how has yours changed, if it has? Was it much different for this episode than the later episodes? How about the one exactly, you know, the number two, episode two? Next one after it. Yeah. Not really. It wasn't really till later on, I feel, that... Um... <clears throat> I started outlining a little more for the season, developing more stuff. And as I got to know um, my characters a little more and the voice actors became more attached to their characters, I let them kind of feed in more um, with what they could do with the character. Um, they could call stuff on me, you know, oh, this doesn't feel right. I wouldn't go with this thing with the character. Or they'd actually just record when they were doing their recordings, they'd say a different word or different thing like that. And I just let them go with it. So what lessons did you learn creating episode one? Um, hmm. I know it's not an easy question, but sometimes <laughs> it could have some interesting results. I think really that I was free to do pretty much anything with the show. I wasn't being limited in, in, <clears throat> in specific ways. Um, I had my character. And I knew where I was going with that and that I could tell really any story I wanted. And that once I got into Ostium, that was all going to open up. Uh, I will say I did notice, I did learn probably by the second or third episode that I it wasn't going to work with just Jake as the character and that's all I was going to have. I needed to add more characters. And that's when I realized I needed a female character. I needed to add Monica down the road. All right. So one, one of my questions that I have about the show is that in episode one, Jake is led to face the right direction for uh, uh, towards Ostium from the very beginning. Mm -hmm. Did you know that he would have a connection from the start of the show? Or was that just the town being mysterious and then everything kind of de developed as time went on? It was the town being mysterious. It was me following up a little idea that stayed through the drafts and realizing it was something I had early on and then could build on further down the road to realize that 
Jake has this connection to Ostium that he still doesn't really understand why or how, but it is there and it's really strong. Yeah. Um, so I, I also wanted to, it's not specifically a question, but I want to talk about how I liked um, the way you expressed the emotional feeling in the show. A lot mm -hmm. of writers have difficult with that. A lot of writers will go with a very, um, on the surface, they will mm -hmm. give you exposition of a situation. You know, uh, the lights were bright and it was hot. But Jake, the main character, he um, he talks about how he's feeling or how something made him feel near the end mm -hmm. of the episode. The feeling of claustrophobia was there about how the road towards Ostium was surrounded by yeah. the thick trees. And then he also just mentions in passing that it's a one-lane road. Just those couple of sentences really give a feeling for the environment that he's in. And I, I really like that. I think that really just comes from my writing style. I'm always very detailed. And I always want to immerse the reader or listener as much as I can in this world I'm creating to make it feel as you know real and close and imaginable as possible for them. That's something I also try to do with TEC. Mm -hmm. One of my biggest pet peeves, especially for audio or reading, because they're kind of, in a way, they're kind of the same medium. You can't see it. You got to kind of, you know, paint the world in your own mind. Right. And a lot of shows and books, they have a great world and interesting characters, but they have no atmosphere. Mm -hmm. And the only way to create atmosphere is by talking about that atmosphere. And it's not an easy thing to accomplish. And I think that a lot of writers don't realize it needs to be done or they see it's too foreboding and they don't try it. Or maybe they do and they're not realizing, you know, that it's not effective. And some there's a lot of people mm -hmm. out there that are quite talented in that. But I think that atmosphere is an often underrepresented uh, aspect that a lot of writers don't utilize but then you also have the other end of the spectrum where sometimes they dive deep, too deep into it and they're describing the curvature of each petal on a rose <laughs> so like okay, you, you robert jordan over there <laughs> it's uh it, it's it takes some some balance to get it right and uh, mm -hmm. i think ostium did pretty good on that and that's something i definitely strive for in tec uh the earth collective one thing so. I was thinking, I think it might apply more to us even, is that we came in as writers and not sound designers so much. So we're, you know, telling and showing our story through the words we can. Whereas there are other shows that will create this atmosphere and this feel just by the sounds and the things going on alone without actually the actors talking about it. Oh, yeah. That's, um, that's a powerful and can also be very effective. Yeah. Um, now, when you marriage the two of them, the soundscape mm -hmm. and the atmosphere, well, I mean, the atmosphere is both the feelings and the soundscape combined. So when you marriage the feeling of the characters and the area they're in and the soundscapes, you can have some very immersive shows. And uh, that's mm -hmm. something I'm not trying to bag on other shows, but that's something that I guess breaks my heart. Um, there was a specific show that I quite, I really love the story, but the soundscapes were basically non-existent or they sounded like they came out of a child's sound, you know, book with the sound mm -hmm. buttons. And it's just, it, it, it threw you out of the world. Sort of thing, yes. It broke my heart it. because I love these yeah. characters and I love their world. They made, I was like, yes. But then I would hear a sound effect from a tin can that sounded like it was boing, boing, boing. I was like, what are you doing? 
listen to the world around you and try and recreate that. So an effective soundscape is very, very important. And I think it is often neglected, sadly so. Well, that's one big change that definitely has happened down the road for me for Ostium is me learning how to do a little bit of sound design and work with the tools I am able to learn and use, but realizing my forte is writing. I'm not a sound designer and knowing when I've, you know, reached my limit. And if I want to go further, I need to bring in some people who actually know what they're doing, which is what I've done this last season of Ostium, or yeah. the current season of bringing in a sound design team who know what they're doing better. And it's also helped me because they can do what they do best in making great soundscapes. And I have more time now to dedicate to the writing and development of, from that respect. Yes, that's that's um, pretty smart because soundscapes, you know, behind the collective, I kind of want the show to be basically, as I've said probably a dozen times, about the creation. So mm -hmm. uh, I want to go down the road of soundscapes for a little bit because they're such they're so much fun to me. I, I love them a lot. And again, I think they're pretty underutilized. And I just wish there were more of them. Um, so bringing in someone else specifically for sound design is a really, really, really good idea because sound design and soundscapes are so complicated. They're far more complicated than people realize that so many people will make a show and they will put in sound effects, mm -hmm. not soundscapes. And the way those two different, as uh, you know, but the listeners might not, is sound effects are a sound when an event happens. Soundscapes are atmospheric sounds and sound effects combined to give you the same sounds you would hear if you were standing in the position next to the characters. Right. So a lot of people will put, you know, um, someone walking and they're just, they put the footsteps down, sound effects, footsteps. Most people might think, okay, that's fine. But what they don't realize is that you have to get into the subconscious of the listener and get them to feel like they're there. So you will keep using footsteps as an example. Where's your character? Are they outside? The footsteps right. would be very flat. You wouldn't hear them very much. You know, that's it. And that's, right. that's not even going into the texture of the ground. Ignore that for a second. This is just the actual soundscape of the single footsteps. If they're outside, you know, like I said, flat, but maybe they're inside, okay, then the sound, you need to add some reverb, you need to bring it to sound like the noise, the footsteps sound is closer to you. Is it a big open space? Then you need to change the echo. Is it a very closed, tight hallway? If you listen to the Earth Collective, when I have certain sound effects, they will change as the characters go from outside to inside of mm -hmm. caravans, the noises from the outside will get muffled or very low. So as if they were coming through a wall. So it's the, there's a major difference between soundscapes and sound effects. And I did realize that in um, Population Zero, the episode one of Ostium, is that you started off right away with the soundscape of an office. Mm -hmm. So you have this character that's just talking and he talks a little bit about the normal world and that's fine. But then you add in the soundscape of this guy being in the office and now he goes from a guy that's just sitting there to a guy that's sitting at work specifically hopping around the world on this little adventure website. Mm -hmm. So just by the, the addition of the people talking and the keystrokes really change the feel of the character and it, 
I would go so far as to say is it changed his personality or how we perceived his personality. Because now we learned more about this person just by the soundscapes. Right. And it's a familiar environment that everyone can emulate. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So I just, I can never under, understate how important soundscapes yeah. are. And I, I, and honestly, I think it's uh, the walking sounds are the ones I've always struggled with, specifically when it's two people walking and to actually get it to sound right. You can't just, you know, double up the sound of someone walking or try and set it off a little bit to syncopate it or something. It always doesn't sound quite right. And I think that was what I fully realized. I'm, I don't have the chops for this. <laughs> well, don't feel bad because out of all of these sound effects that go into my soundscapes, feet walking are the um, one of the fewest that I use because they can get very bad very quick. <laughs> um, I have foleyed as Mike, he just gave us a link right here. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm going to check that out later, but I have foleyed my <laughs> own sound effects. I lived on a house with some acreage so I could get wet grass. I could mm -hmm. get concrete. I could get dry leaves and I would just hold my microphone by my feet and I would spend about 15 to 20 minutes just walking. Walking around. So I have a ton of footsteps, but more often than not, I'm ashamed to say that I would put them in and they just didn't sound right. Right. When I really needed to show that Joseph was walking, I would put them in. I think um, it was the most recent one that I can remember is season three episode three again spoiler tags everyone for the earth collective when he goes into the building of that has the drone in it yeah. you hear his footsteps and they change from outside to inside but before that moment he was walking that whole time but i couldn't put the footsteps over everything because that would just kind of get distracting and you also can't have your character say well i'm walking <laughs> every single time they're walking i mean of course you have to in an audio medium you know well oh that's over there let's go check it out so don't feel bad about not knowing exactly where to put footsteps because those are definitely one of my problem areas as well mm -hmm. well that's why it's nice now that i have this talented sound team which in our most recent crossover episode where jake and uh joseph are walking and then they go into his uh caravan that the sounds change and i knew i just had you know if, they, if to say the sound needs to change here and the sound team knows exactly what I mean and how to do it as opposed to me just struggling with it. Yeah, that's that's I need to get to that point to where I have uh, a team that does that for me. But that is for another time. That's that's part of the growth. <laughs> so but uh, that's I'm glad that you got that. It definitely would free up some time. Well, it as helps. They're, they're huge fans of the show, so they weren't easily they weren't that hard to convince to join me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that is. I have been. I mean, um, my new writer that I just brought mm -hmm. on, he had never heard of the show, and I contacted him on Reddit because I hang around in a lot of the uh, writing areas because there's some great creativity mm -hmm. there. And I he wrote some stuff that had a really good sci-fi vibe, so I sent him a message. Hey, would you be interested? He said, Yeah. And then he started listening to the show. And then all of a sudden he hops on and he's like, okay, this is great. Oh, I also, I make music here. You want my music, this and that. He's like, I'll write a bunch for you. I'm like, absolutely. I love your writing here. Let me listen to music. Holy crap. Your music is amazing. Mm -hmm. So, and he's like, yeah, I can make some music for the show and uh, we can talk about payments a little bit later, but let's just make right. some awesome stuff. And it's, 
Uh, it's a labor it's of great. love. Yeah. It yeah. Locates a much better pair. That's, okay. I mean, we're not millionaires here, you know, with huge production teams. So we have to create with passion. And luckily, I will also fully admit, after listening to probably the first or couple of episodes of TEC, my immediate thought was, God, I'd love to ride in this world too. <laughs> that I, I'm, I'm flattered. I love hearing that, and uh, I have had heard that to quite a few or from quite a few people. I think mm -hmm. that's that's one thing that's very unique about TEC. It's it's so recognizable because it's so human, but it's yep. so out there and in such a strange yep. world Different. that. You know, people are like, well, I would do this in that situation because everyone knows cars. They drive, you know, everyone mm -hmm. basically knows what an RV is, even if they've never been in one. Yep. And then now we have this entire society built just around that. It's uh, it has gotten a lot of that have to be constantly on the move. Yeah, it changes. It exactly. All. That literally everything. I mean, grocery shopping is a completely mm -hmm. different thing, you know, gardening. Um, the pubs are different. Yeah. So it's, um, oh, Taryn just said a huge fan. Thank you. <laughs> I, I'm not used to people, um, saying that they love the show yet, even though it's been on for a couple of years and I just, I still absolutely love hearing it. I'm really happy. I, to I just, yeah, I discovered recently my brother's a huge fan too. Cause I, oh, I've wow. always recommended your show and then he got onto the, lives in Berlin and he got onto the show. And then he, when he heard the crossover episode, he was like just as excited as I was. <laughs> That's awesome. I'm so so glad to hear that. Um, yeah. So I think that's basically all the questions that I have for Ostium. But okay. as general for this show, anything we want to talk about creative-wise for the show, you know, let's let's make it happen. So I'm ready to answer any questions that you might have. All right. Let me pull up my list real quick. We'll get started on the Earth Collective. Okay. The spotlight is turned the other way now. You're under the gun. Oh, no. I'm sweating bullets already. <laughs> All right. Can you sum up the Earth Collective in one lengthy sentence? Yes. All <laughs> right. So the Earth Collective, you receive a strange transmission meant just for you from a mechanic named Joseph Crane, who lives in a strange society made up of personal vehicles and rolling cities. I'm hooked. <laughs> I'm already hooked, but still. I hope so. It's uh, <laughs> It does not even come close to capturing all the weirdness of the world, but it's kind of, I haven't quite figured out how to write the copy for that yet. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but if I'm reading that on the back of a book, I'm grabbing that book. <laughs> yeah, uh, glad to hear it. I'm I, In that one little sentence, I try to hit the main points of the show, uh, the personal connection with Joseph and mm -hmm. uh, the rolling cities. Wait, what? Yeah, well, and there's, I um, can't remember off the top of my head, there's a young adult, Oh, Mortal Engines, I think it's called. Yes. It's also about rolling cities, I think, isn't it? Yes, it is. Yeah. Okay. Uh, next one. Um, what are the high points and big reveals of your first episode? All right. Uh, let's see. High points and big reveals. So the interesting thing about episode one is that I didn't know where I was going mm -hmm. with it at all. So the probably the highest points would be just the establishment of Joseph and the world of the Earth Collective. It's a strange world, yes, but also Joseph's personality is planted right then and there, so you kind of get a feel of who he is and how he feels. Um, also, one of my favorite things, and I kind of mentioned it earlier, how you said you created uh, Jake with a photographic memory and i mentioned how mm -hmm. it's nice to write in things to kind of close up loopholes 
In episode one, I also established the battery mechanic of the series where you hear that beeping and it says that Joseph's battery yeah. is dying. And that was to make up an excuse to end an episode because I wanted it to feel very much like you were actually receiving these mm-hmm. messages from someone and why would they just randomly stop? Okay, maybe he got tired. That's kind of lame. So I decided to go with the machine decides when he has to stop. So that was... Right. Uh, you know, I, I'm glad I established that early on so I didn't have to shoehorn it in later. Yeah. And it kind of pulls back a little bit to, I think, um, like the, the big earlier podcasts of like Black Tapes or Limetown where you're going for this, you know, the journalistic kind of immersing you in like a story that could be real. And that's what this one does too. Yeah. Yeah. I um, I love Black Tapes and Limetown. Those were a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. So... I definitely worked really hard to get TEC to feel as real as possible considering the situation. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Now, uh, if I remember correctly, you didn't you you kind of improvised a lot of the episode when you did the recording. Is that correct? Yes. So, all of episode one is improvised. How it began was, I got this idea for the show, and I sat down. I turned on a recorder, and I literally just started speaking in the role of Joseph Crane. Mm-hmm. And what you hear for the first half is verbatim of that recording. So I just hit record, I started talking, and I spitballed it, and I hit stop, and I thought, okay, this is actually kind of interesting. (laughs) So I wrote everything I said down verbatim, then I started recording again, recorded that, and then continued to improv the second half of the rest of the first episode. And did you ever write it up (laughs) after that? (laughs) Uh, No. No, I actually didn't start writing episodes until until I started having other actors get on there mm-hmm. that's all 
where they had more than a couple lines. You know, Emma, when well, there she... you go. That's a whole whole different way of making a podcast. It's yes. Really <laughs> yeah. So the Earth Collective, the majority of season one was improvised. Mm-hmm. And that's because it felt better to put mm-hmm. it in a cop out kind of explanation. I have an ability to kind of get in the mind of a character mm-hmm. and just be that character and act it out. You know, what would they say? Um and of course, that led to me DMing a D&D crew later, which actually contains almost every single actor from TEC. <laughs> but I used that ability when I created TEC because I just wanted to tell a story as Joseph. So I would sit down, I would write some bullet points, mm-hmm. and that was it. I, you know, I would say, in this episode, Joseph needs to talk about the food. Uh, he needs to talk about how you know what happens if people try to mess with the food and this this and that and just go from there i didn't actually start writing scripts until probably partway through season two that's really interesting and i think it comes through with the character because with that you can put a lot of things like breathing and pauses and just different voice sounds that someone doing that would naturally do but you can't necessarily put that into a script to make it feel right either Right. And I'm sure they hate me for it. But when I first started having my other actors join in, especially Auntie Denny, bless her heart. um, She is a sweet lady, not an actress. So when I first sat down, I kind of tried to impose my style of recording (laughs) on my other actors and say, here's some bullet points. Good luck. Let's go. And they would go. "Um." So I said, okay, fine, I'll write it for you. But the issue with that is when you have someone that's not an actor and they read a script, yeah. they read a script. They don't act the script, they read it. And it's very obvious and they have those weird and unnatural pauses instead of the natural ones. And I hate that it drives me insane, <laughs> the the reading aspect of it. It's like, I don't know, maybe I'm too harsh because I've been able to improv from the beginning. But to me, it yeah. feels like if you sound like you're reading a script, practice you know it's it's okay to say hey this sucks i'm gonna read it uh 12 more times today till it it sounds natural Mm -hmm. so i wrote them a little bit more but i did plead with my actors please please be okay with improv it's okay if you go off the script be your character i can edit so if you say something off the wall no problem and i honestly did not end up cutting very much out at all Mm -hmm. ever from my characters um you know the crazy cast guy? The guy that screams a lot and argues with Arthur? Yeah. Uh, that's that's my bud, Joey. He uh, he never had any scripts at all. That's just because how he is. I never gave him a single script. I, in fact, I let those other poor actors in the cage with him and said, <laughs> here, you got to be like Arthur. You got to talk to that crazy guy, have fun, and turn on the mic. And that's what we got. And I absolutely love it because it is pure chaos and improv. You know, he, from the beginning, he knew that his character was going to be crazy. And he's like, is that okay? And I said, sure, absolutely. I mean, of course, <laughs> some people in the collective are going to be crazy. And, you right. know, your guy's cast, and he's been cast for a long time. So he's extra nuts. Somehow he hasn't died. Have fun with it. Do what you want. There's um, a show, I believe, Point Mystic, I think, kind of does a similar thing where they have a rough outline for characters, what they're going to go over in the episode. But... In a lot of cases, they just let them kind of act with each other and improv and work off each other. And again, that's one of those shows that feels so genuine and visceral and real. 
I think that's a great method for people who aren't trained actors. Mm-hmm. You know, when you're a trained actor, you can read a script and you can act it out pretty good. Yeah. And mm-hmm. uh, I think it's a lot easier for people. And of course, they kind of delve into acting like themselves. Mm-hmm. But unless they're playing multiple characters, that's fine. If they just right. want to, mm-hmm. usually, I mean, it's obvious up to the creator, but that's okay if it's just you being you in this world. That's still almost always, for noobs at least, and for amateurs, <laughs> that's almost always going to give a better um, performance than reading a script. Oh, I'm scared. That kind of stuff. There's, but then there's also another show, um, Voyage to the Stars, uh, yeah. which has a number of big Hollywood people, including Felicia Day, and it's all improv. But oh, that's, that's interesting. <laughs> um, but yeah, Point Mystic. Kind of circle mm-hmm. back. I have listened to it. I enjoy that show. So I yeah. did. I didn't know it was in, it was a uh, bulletproof or bullet pointed improv. That's very interesting. I believe it's mostly that. Yeah, just with how they work with each other and kind of get to that real feel. So we were talking a little bit about uh, theme earlier with Ostium. So were you going for a theme with your first episode of Earth Collective? Yes. Yes, but no. (laughs) As I spoke, I kind of realized that I wanted it to be very clear that this situation that these people are in is dire. It's difficult. You know, living in a house Mm -hmm. or in a shack on our current world is hard enough. Could you imagine what life is like in a rolling city or in caravans? So I wanted to establish a world of hopelessness and then show that, hey, here's Joseph. He has hope. Everyone else has kind of given up, but Joseph hasn't. He wants to keep going. He wants to record human's history. He has a sliver of hope. So it's a nice dash and mix of hopelessness with unrelenting hope pushed inside of there as well. <laughs> so we, we talked a little about how further down the road you started writing scripts for your other actors and, and writing scripts more. So how else has your show changed as you've written more and created more of it? It's the writing now is far more organized. Mm-hmm. Um, I still kind of write with a flow of consciousness similar to how you do, which I said, mm-hmm. which is why I mentioned we have a lot of parallels in our creative process. But in the beginning, I didn't really plan much of anything out and I kind of went into it too much improv. Mm-hmm. And that led to situations to where I kind of froze up and didn't know where to go next, which sometimes you can hear that. Sometimes I'll leave it in and that's okay. Sometimes it's I have to cut it out, I have to stop, and I have to think, oh, God, well, well, what do I do next? And that hurt me creatively because that soaked up time that I didn't need to to soak up. Nowadays, it is far more organized. I have a general plot line for the season and the episodes and at least the one, the next one and the next two or so kind of outlined. I have an idea of where I want them to go that way. As a character, I improv, but as a show, I know where it's going. Mm-hmm. So that has definitely changed a lot and it's made it a lot easier. Um, I mentioned recently in a Patreon post that before it would take me days and days and days to make an episode, but just recently I was very busy and I didn't get around to it. I know I needed to make an episode. So I mentioned, and I, I was in a rush, but I really wanted to get an episode out and I I had it written, luckily. So, Mm -hmm. but I recorded, edited, did music, sound design, and soundscape (laughs) 
all within about five to six hours and released an wow. episode. And I, I, I was told that it was one of the best episodes they've ever heard by some fans. And I thought, wow, if I have my crap organized, this is so much easier on me. Why did I do this to myself? Why did I, um, you know, why did I wait so long to, uh, to make this easier on myself? Um, when I was re-listening to that first episode, and I noticed it all throughout the show too, is the the music feel pr plays a kind of like almost a character to the show, an underlining tone to a lot of things. Um, I find it really poignant and atmospheric. So, who does the music? Where do you, where do you find the music? Uh, I do all of the music. No. Oh. <laughs> well, do by pick. I mean, I, I pick all of the music. Mm -hmm. um, so, for a portion, let me give credit where credit is due. Right. Um, <laughs> Uh, a portion of season one was scored by the very talented musician Vru Patel. Um, mm -hmm. I kind of took a break between the release of season or the production of season one and season two. So me and Vru just, we started to do different things. You know, his schedule got too busy to continue mm -hmm. scoring the show and all of that. So I was very thankful for his services and you can hear uh, the second half of season one has some great music, but the first half of season one, all of season two, and currently all of season three, it is just me finding free mm -hmm. and Creative Commons music to layer in to the show. Right. And I'd say music is neck and neck with soundscape as far mm -hmm. as creating a good atmosphere. It is very important. Every single song I choose is very carefully put in very specific spots. I mean, I literally line drums up, drums and beat drops and crescendos up with dialogue specifically to get the exact mood mm -hmm. that I want for that show and for that sentence. Sometimes a single section of dialogue will get four or five songs put in, listened to four or five times, taken out, put a different song four right. or five times, taken out, put another song in four or five times, taken out. And uh, it's very time consuming. And someday <laughs> I hope to have a composer because that is exhausting, to be perfectly honest. The feeling I get when the music just matches is like heaven. Mm -hmm. So I'm happy to do it. But my God, someday I need a composer. <laughs> So you voiced the protagonist of the show. Was that always going to be your plan, or did you ever feel like you should have gone with someone else or, or tried a different actor? It was... It's This one's also kind of a yes and no. Mm -hmm. Because TEC began, and kind of is now, uh, a one-man show. So okay. when it started out, I had no one to do anything else for the show. I had to do everything, and I figured... I could find an actor that has the free time, that's willing to commit, that is a good enough actor, and do all of this, or I can just say, screw it, hit record, and start talking. <laughs> I'm a, I've am been a creator for a long time. I've made short films. I've written a lot, but I've never been on the other side of the camera or microphone mm -hmm. until now. But I didn't, I didn't want to waste time. I just wanted to make the show. Yeah. So I just hit record and said, boom. My name is Joseph Crane. Uh, I live blah, blah, blah. Uh, I live blah, blah, blah. Oh, hey, you know, also we live in rolling cities. And it just went from there. And as the show progressed, I kind of fell into and created this character. And pretty quickly, I understood who he was. 
So it wasn't really planned out to be me. It was just best for it to be me. And I think that it helps because what Joseph says, which is in the control of the writer, but also how he says mm -hmm. things is very, very, very important. Um, Taryn just said that he loves hearing the R's and ums almost. I mean, the show is improv, but it is also meticulously stated. Yeah. There in season one well, and season two, but there are some sentences that are said with certain inflections mm -hmm. that give hints to storylines that have started or are hinted at throughout the rest of the series. Just the inflections themselves. So if I'm playing Joseph, I have complete control over that. It's easy. You know, I can't say it, I can, but it would take more time to say to an actor, say, yeah. I don't think so, moodily. You know, that would just take, take a lot of time. I mean, that's how acting goes because I have directed people in front of a camera. Mm -hmm. But I figured this is my baby. I love the show. I love the world. <laughs> I can deliver the perfect feel and the line delivery for Joseph from the very beginning if I just take care of it. And I, I would say I even noticed that too with the, the crossover episode where we worked on the script together. So you're working off a script there, but again, you still brought Joseph into that script and gave him those pauses and those breathing, you know, the feel of it that Joseph has. Yeah, Joseph is meticulously created to give a feel of who he is because he's a very he's a very real person, I want to say. Mm -hmm. You know, he has events in his life that motivate him that aren't in the show. No one knows about them, but I know as a creator of these events, so when I'm writing him, these events manipulate and influence his decisions and how he decides things. And they're mm -hmm. not quite clear from the outside, but they help to make him a very real character. So since you you immerse yourself so much in Joseph, the character, do you ever have uh, issues with trying to pull away from the character when you're just, you know, when you're done recording or you're leaving the, wherever you're recording or something like that? that or do you find yourself in normal life also being Joseph? Joseph, um, I've never had issue trying to pull away mm -hmm. because Joseph and I are very similar. He is kind of how I would be in a horrifying hellscape of rolling cities and death on the dark side of a planet. You know, mm -hmm. um, determined, life's been hard, but there, there's hope. And that's kind of how I see life. Right. So I haven't surprisingly not yet had any issues with feeling like I need to pull away because I just kind of, I can easily put myself in the mindset of Joseph. Specifically, mm -hmm. I even do that for the the recording, obviously. But I mean, that day I go in and I think of how would Joseph feel this day that he was sitting down to record. Right. And I, I'm able to get into that. And I'm also able to get out of it, thankfully. No uh, no Heath Ledger. Oh, could you hear me? Yeah, I cut off for a bit. But yeah. What was the last thing you heard? Uh, get in and get out. And then that's it. Oh, that, that's basically it. I, I can get in pretty <laughs> easy. And then I can get out pretty easy. Um, and then I heard Heath Ledger. That's all I heard. Yeah, I was going to say no, no Heath Ledger situation here. So. Or Christian Bale. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no screaming at little uh, at hands on the on the set. So, um, so when I listened to the first episode of Earth Collective again, it's been a while since I'd heard it, and 
I know, you know, further on down the show, if anything happens, but I really found the episode pretty intense and I might even say catastrophic with everything that's happened and what's happening now and maybe even kind of a downer, I'd say, you know, with how things are going and pretty hopeless. Did you think when you were finished with this episode that this might be too much for listeners or um, that you might have to change something or were you happy with what you came up with? It did occur to me that this might be too much, but, and I mean this in the purest sense of the word, I don't write for anyone else. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's no fan service in the show. I create the world as it is. And if people like it, that's beautiful. If they don't, that's okay. And I don't mean to do that to be a jerk, but I mean to do that to um, have TEC be its own world forever. So I knew that it would be a doom and gloom world. And I knew that some people wouldn't like that. And that's fine. I'll never take personal insult if people are in a place in life to where they can't handle Mm -hmm. um, something with that type of atmosphere. Because I've been in that place, you know, it's like, well, I I have to consume something positive right now. So while there is an ever-present undercurrent of hope, there's also uh, ever-present oppression of the difficulties of that life. Right. And I know that's there, and I have thought to myself, well, should I change that? But also, again, the world decides what it does, if that makes sense. I can't just say, well, nah, life's going to be easy. I created the world of the Earth Collective of of um, Oasis, and that's where the yeah. characters live. Yeah. That doesn't get to change. They got to keep moving. (laughs) Exactly, exactly. And things will get better over time. I know it's taken two to three years (laughs) because the show (laughs) is still going. And, um, but in a world as difficult as that, progress is slow. Yeah. And I think that gives us a connection to the world we live in now. It's difficult for a lot of us in a lot of different ways so i think that by keeping joseph's world real people can look at it and say you know what this guy is going through hell so am i but listen to what he says he still says we can make it we can keep fighting we don't have to stop just because it gets hard so yeah the world is oppressive so is ours but let's keep going i think of um uh, Congressman John Lewis, who's just been through so much in his life as a black man and how he's never given up hope and just says, you know, we have to fight another day. We have to keep going. We can never stop. And he's always such an inspirational voice, I feel, and it's kind of similar to this. Yeah, yeah. It's um, it's it's important to keep fighting no matter what. Mm-hmm. And that's definitely something I try to keep inside of the earth collective despite the doom and gloom of the atmosphere the people are always fighting and things will improve but also get worse and improve and get worse you know how real life does yeah and also i mean all these people have managed to stay alive for this long and keep going for this long so you know there's so much more potential absolutely and i don't want to give too much away for the future but if you listen carefully to season three uh, there are talks about maybe some organizing happening that's mm-hmm. probably going to make life for a lot of the citizens of the collective better than it is currently. But, you know, again, 
this show behind the collective is not about the whole show in general it's about specific <laughs> yeah. episodes because i only have three seasons to go over with when i talk to other <laughs> creators so we'll get to season three when we get there but right. let me just say this there's more hope on the horizon So to pull it back a little bit, so with where you are on the show now, if you could, would you change anything with that first episode? I would give it uh, intro music. <laughs> but I didn't. And you did. I don't just realized that both our first episodes do that. Yeah. Yeah. Have the intro. We just throw. I, that's what I, I like that, though. I think you throw you right in, which is what you should do. And <laughs> I think, you know, maybe I wouldn't give it intro music because <laughs> if someone hears of a show where you're getting a. Uh, you know, a transmission from like a, a setup or something, yeah. From a mechanic, and be like, "What?" So they listen, and boom, it starts mm -hmm. as if they're literally receiving a recording. Exactly. That so, really hooked me. You know, I changed that. I, I don't want intro <laughs> music. I like what I have, and I think it's good, especially for longtime fans because they hear that very, very unique piano. You know, mm -hmm. but I think the beginning, no intro. Now that I actually step back and think about it, I think it's good how it is. And as far as anything else, I don't think I would change it. It's. Mm -hmm unique and improv and real and raw and that was definitely something that was praised highly when the show first came out yeah. that people are like this sounds so real how did you do that and i would tell them yeah. that's because it is because i didn't know what i was doing i just <laughs> talked as the character and that's what we got so just i the think i with the mic but it, it felt like so much more yep exactly and i think i think i would leave it just how it is so Last question, do you still consider this the right starting point for the Earth Collective? Or do you feel you could have started it at a different point in time? You know, when I read that question in uh, the preliminary, when I was going over the ones you sent over to me, I, I sat and I thought for a little while and I realized I could not imagine the show starting anywhere else. Joseph has, it started at a point to where he has a history. And like I even mm -hmm. said, some of it's not even talked about. It just motivates him. Some of it is hinted at, and no one has even brought up one of his biggest moments in his life that I've been dropping hints at since, I think, episode three. Um, so I'm hoping someday someone will be like, hey, did this happen to him? And I can say yes. But <laughs> Joseph starts as a character with so much history, and he's so established yeah. in the world already. He's not some young pup that's there to prove his way. You know, he's already mm -hmm. a well-respected mechanic. Of course, mechanics yeah. on the hierarchy aren't very tall but in his circle in his segment he's, yeah, he's respected he's an integral cog in the machine exactly yeah. you know he's not it's not specifically an underdog tale from the beginning like so many other stories and those can be fine but i'm just glad that i didn't start tec that way because he's already he's not powerful but he's already a person and he's ready to go and continue his story and now you as the listener get to join him on his story and see where it goes from there. And it also gives you the chance you can still go back, but you're still in the present and moving forward. Exactly. So I'm going to ask the listeners that are listening in right now on the chat and you specifically, how do you feel as the starting point? I should have asked that first back before I gave my answer, but <laughs> how do you feel as the, that is the starting point for TEC? How did you feel when you first listened? I think it was a, a good spot because you had a lot in place already that 
is what got me hooked in when you started giving more details about the world and what was going on instead of not from an explaining part of you know setting it up sort of thing but because it was already in that setting of where he was and how he was dealing with it it pulled me in more that way i feel that instead of being you know told it all and giving it you know in one big lump sum sort of thing you know like yeah. you know, the beginning of a big epic novel or something like that where everything's given to you like the beginning of lord of the rings where you have you know a five minute narrative thing that just throws everything at you here you got little bits here and there and you start put the pieces together and we're able to see the complexity of the world and that you know you as the creator had thought all this stuff out and that we as the listeners were putting it together bit by bit okay i'm glad to hear that you like that um yes sorry mike and taryn the question was how did you feel when you first listened to TEC, do you feel like that was a good starting point or do you feel that's basically it? Do you feel like it was a good starting point? Um, so while they're typing that out, I want to mention that you said the, the little pieces of information are dropped. TEC is very drip feed with its <laughs> information. And sometimes I think I've irritated some people, but it's also very, very, very intentional. Right. Because Joseph isn't there to give you the answers to the mysteries of the universe. Mm -hmm. He's there to tell you about his day. And then, right. oh, all of a sudden you hear some static come in that maybe there was a word there. Oh, that's weird. Now he's still telling yeah. you about his day. Or maybe and, he... I mean, he's literally just a guy here trying this recording thing that he thinks might be going to a satellite and might be eventually heard by someone or might be just disappearing into the ether and no one's getting anything out of it. Exactly, exactly. Um, there are storylines that are still being drip fed into the series that are going to pay off one to two seasons later. Mm. And I think that I really enjoy that because someone can listen to the show, you know, they'll see the reveal, they'll be like, oh, that's cool. Then they'll listen to the show again some years down the road and they're like, oh my God, that was mentioned back in season one. Holy crap. Mm -hmm. You know, and I just really like giving those mind-blowing experiences to the listeners. So yeah, um, TEC is very drip feed for better or worse. I like to think for better. Um, <laughs> I guess that's up to the listener to really decide. But as a writing well, style, I really that enjoy you, it. You're, you're aware you're doing it. You know how. And it's not just uh, like Lost where it's like lots of little cool little things that might pay off and just end up going nowhere. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, God. Lost. That's a <laughs> that's a heartbreaking story right there. But <laughs> that was one of my goals with last uh, year was to be like, not like Lost. That's my one goal. <laughs> making me sad. Um, Taryn says he his first thoughts were feels very genuine and they want to know how they got there. Do you feel like you have gotten the answers how they got there? Do you are you satisfied with how the story has gone so far? And be honest. Trust me, I can take it. Oh, no, Mike, why are you here if there's... Okay, Mike says he hasn't caught up. Spoilers! Oh, the spoilers have already been said, bud. But that's okay. Yeah, I feel like we've gotten enough answers to, to put the picture together. Yeah. Um, but I also feel like it gives you the potential because you're specifically saying you're telling Joseph's storyline which then begs the question, are there other stories to be told? And they could be, you know, 100 years before this and 200 years in the future. You know, there's lots of potential here of what else you oh, can tell. Oh, boy, yeah. <laughs> um, in a way, and this might be, you know, a little sadistic, 
and I'm not <laughs> going to say sorry. But in a way, I kind of hope that you guys don't get all of the answers. <laughs> because, and I'm not talking about major plot points. I'm not one of those writers that enjoys making people, people feel disconnected. But I want the world to feel so real that you have questions about the world that just like real life, you're never going to get the answer for. Mm -hmm. I want to close out plot points, you know, but not every single question. I hope that whenever TEC ends years down the road, I hope that it's still going to feel like a real world in your mind because some of my favorite medias in the world, you know, their own worlds, they, I, I will occasionally think of, man, I wonder what would have happened in this world if this and this happened, mm -hmm. you know, and I, I want the, the TEC bug to be in people's brains a decade from now. <laughs> Uh, so you said, uh, th I'm telling just Joseph's story, <clears throat> but you, there's other stories that need to be told in this world. And on the Patreon, I did give a list of things that I wish I had time to right. make. Awesome so list, yeah. <laughs> I am going to read that off real quick, just to kind of give an example. And Taryn also mm -hmm. said that this world feels very filled out. Oh man, you don't have any idea how, just how much this world is filled out that I, as a one man production team, have not had time <laughs> to bring to you guys yet. So these well, I are you did a you did a question request on Patreon where we all came up with questions about the world or what we wanted to know and then answered you know, all these bizarre details like the weather and I think I asked about what the trees were like and stuff like that and you had all the answers ready to go. Yeah. Um this it's very filled out world because I like world building. I always have mm -hmm. ever since a child I liked world building. So TEC kind of was mostly a world building thing for me until I decided to turn it into a, a podcast. Um, so the list that I want to tell the stories for, and this is not finished by any means, but this is just a couple of bullet points. Um, the fall of earth, the ancestors flight in space, the great divergence, the arrival of the ancestors, the pioneers, the sky forks, gaslight junction, the silent forest, the ancestor life on oasis, the Islanders of Oasis, the beginning of the caravans, the diner people that you hear in season three, the perfect bunker slash as above, so below. That's kind of a secret story that no one else knows anything about. Um, <laughs> childhood life on Oasis, guard stories. I want to go more with guard Michael. I want to mm -hmm. dive into Auntie Denny's background. I want to talk about the Fletcher Kings. My God, they have so much history. They're so <laughs> weird. And they're not talked about because Joseph hasn't, hasn't gotten that far up yet because they're farther forward in the collective. Right. But they are very different from everybody else in the collective. And lastly, the Iron Riders, which we've had a mm -hmm. small uh, encounter with. So when you say that I'm telling Joseph's story and there's more to be told, yes, there is more to be told. And my plan for the Earth Collective is to get it to a point financially to where I can pay for the production to take other creative and amazing people and pay them to produce the stories that deserve to be told inside of the Earth Collective series. Mm -hmm. So that's that's what I'm working towards right now. Uh, I don't. Taryn has asked if I can just flesh all those out real quick and just send him a PM with the details. Um, probably not tonight. I, I need rest <laughs> in the next couple of years. But, uh, you know... To be perfectly honest and to be brash about it, if you want those to happen, then check out the Patreon, support the mm -hmm. Patreon, and spread word for the Patreon. And I don't want Behind the Collective to be a, a commercial. You know, it's about the creativity. Yeah. But 
this is only going to happen if you know if if I can bring it to life. Speaking of Patreon, to those listening, uh, Ostium also has a Patreon with a ton of content. So if you're going to support my show, do it. Yes, please. Also, go support Ostium because you're going to get a crap load of content on both ends. You know, the price of a couple of bucks, you know, a few bucks, coffee, maybe a dinner once a month for both shows. And you're going to have hours and hours and hours of content on both ends. So um, mine is patreon.com forward slash TEC story. Again, it's not supposed to be a commercial, but if you want all of that stuff that I just spent five minutes listing off, you're going to have to support the show. That's the only way it's going to happen. Alex, tell us your Patreon. Uh, Patreon.com slash Ostium Podcast. Yep. And that's for, I kind of have one thing for all the spinoff shows too. So it's Ostium, the Cersei Podcast, and Manifestations all into one umbrella. There you go. I mean, that's what, it's like a three-for-one deal right there. <laughs> and as TEC expands and gets its own shows, all of that's going to be under the TEC umbrella as well mm -hmm. because the TEC world is huge. So just support just the, the Earth Collective, and you're going to get all of that. So support the Ostium Network. You're going to get all of that as well. So, all right. Well, do the listeners in the chat have any other questions? Or, Alex, do you have any other questions for me? Uh, I don't think so. Um, I like how it's been fun doing this just to see how we had, you know, really unique and interesting shows that we created that were both into each other's shows a lot. And it turns out it's because we're similar in, our, in a lot of ways with our creativity and how Very we much. create. So yeah. it makes sense. That that's pretty. It's pretty hilarious. That I think you're you're a great choice for the first one, and it just <laughs> happened that we create almost identically. So that's that's awesome. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, I just want to say, and we're in the same time zone, so that makes yes, it easy for uh, chatting. Yes, <laughs> you know, I' gonna have to when I get some creators from across the world, I'm gonna have to carve out some time there. Be like, all right, sorry, babe, I'm talking in you know across the house in the microphone at 3 a.m. But hey, um, so Alex, I just want to for Mike and Taryn, you just have to add 15 hours. Okay, got it. <laughs> so Alex, I just wanted to thank you, thank you so much for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. And thanks for being willing pleasure. to um, to ask me the questions. That really helps because mm -hmm. I can't just sit here and ask myself questions about mm -hmm. the Earth Collective. That'd be a little weird. So I'm very grateful that you had some of your own and you were able to take the question outline that I sent you and customize it to make it very interesting. So I do appreciate yeah. that. Well, I'm, I'm just as curious about your show as you are mine and, and one of your biggest listeners, I think. So. Oh, absolutely. You're a great yeah. fan. I'm just going to put that there. <laughs> I, I'm, your, your interactivity with the show the comments on Twitter and the Patreon mm -hmm. are just awesome. Uh, I light up every single time I hear from a fan and I just want to thank you here for that. And um, so, yeah, I'm probably going to have you on again because Ostium is, has grown to have a very interesting and complex world. Mm -hmm. So I think later after I interview some other shows, yep. I want to pick one of your craziest episodes, bring <laughs> that on here and let's pick it apart and talk about it. That'd be gross. I'd love to do that. <laughs> and if I haven't gone over that uh, one of the episodes yet, if you want to pick at that point, if you want to pick one of the TEC episodes mm -hmm. and say, hey, let's talk about that one. I'm going to point out how you said um too much. Then we could do that too. <laughs> so let's go ahead and do be, that down the road. It'd be fun too to come, because we've done this first one now, to come with a whole new kind of list of questions that we haven't covered yet. Right. And I think this base is good. And as we mm -hmm. do it more... 
we're going to be able to expand on it and, you know, learn better and have better questions. But I really like how we went off the rails here mm -hmm. and I am looking forward to doing that again on the next time. And it's fun doing it here on Discord where we can have uh, people chiming in too. Yes, I hope we get more because I love um, seeing the questions, especially fans of both shows. It's really good, especially when they've they've already listened and they're like, oh, I know this and then they can have a question. It's great. So next time, you know, I'm going to advertise it. Next time we have a cross or you know, we, we uh, collaborate again, let's advertise it and get it out here because mm -hmm. I didn't know if the live chat was going to work. It did. I yeah, loved it. It was great. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks again for listening, uh, Mike and Taryn that chimed in. Thanks for not only listening, but also for actually asking questions and participating. Yeah. It was fun. If you are a listener that's picking up Behind the Collective, whether you listen to TEC or Ostium or you just found this on your podcatcher feed, um, in the show notes, you're going to get a list or you're going to get a link for probably this channel, if not this channel, at least links for the TEC Twitter. Follow that Twitter and you're going to get a notification for the next time I do an interview, which will also have an open chat Please come on in, listen to the stuff we blab about, ask us questions, and of course, listen to the episodes ahead of time if you got it, so you can be informed or ask uninformed questions. We might not answer, but hey, <laughs> that's fine too. Thanks for listening, everyone. I hope you enjoyed this cross-interview series and are excited for the next one. Um, I haven't nailed down my second guest. I'm in talks with three different creators. We just got to put our dates down. But don't worry, the next episode of Behind the Collective is going to come out in about two weeks. That way I have time to work on the actual Earth Collective. And uh, again, thanks, Alex. Thanks to the chat Thank listeners. You. I'll, you guys I'll be are, there, that's for sure. Uh, you guys are awesome. It was great to have you. And thanks for listening in, everyone. Have a good one.